0: So, if you're like me and most uh, media personalities I've seen these days, you've noticed that our nation is uh, quite divided. And uh, we only seem to become increasingly more divided each day. We're divided by gender, we're divided by age, we're divided by the color of our skin, we're divided, of course, by politics. And uh, you may have noticed this come out around the Thanksgiving table if you spent any time with extended family and your crazy uncle or whatever. <clears throat> Kim, my wife and I, and our middle son Micah went down on Thanksgiving Day to spend time with our families in Louisville, Kentucky, and when we arrived at the house, my parents' house, this sign was on the door, (coughs) (laughs) allowing absolutely no political talk whatsoever, which is quite a feat because my son Micah is very smart, very articulate, very persuasive, and if all else fails, very persistent. So he pretended not, he loves to get everybody to think the way he thinks on these things, so he pretended not to see the sign and walked around to the back door. (laughs) Which was locked. The division, this division in our society has also crept into the church of Jesus Christ, and it is dividing the body of Christ. And if, if we're to give any credence whatsoever to our New Testament documents, we know that dividing the body of Christ is a bad thing, it's bad news. Some some scholars have even said it's the first heresy. Division in the church is the first heresy. But what is the good news on this second Sunday of Advent? The, The good news that we celebrate this morning is simple, but it is profound. Christ Jesus is our peace. Christ Jesus is our peace. And by that we mean that Christ is the way to peace with God, and Christ is the key to peace with one another. Christ is the way to peace with God, and Christ is the key to peace with one another. If we want to experience peace in our hearts, peace in our lives, peace in our relationships, turning to Christ and turning to Christ's way in the world, in my experience, is our best possible chance at finding it. That's not to say that such things come automatically when we confess faith faith in Christ. Not at all. It will take some work, some intentional work on ourselves and on our relationships with others if the peace of Christ is to impact us as God intends. What God has done in the coming of Christ in the flesh, the fancy theological word for that being the incarnation, the enfleshment of God among us as one of us, what God has done in the incarnation has never only been about your personal private relationship with Jesus or salvation, or mine. It's never only been about your personal relationship and salvation with Jesus Christ. It has always also been about building community. It has also always, always been about bringing people together who were far away and who were near to God, bringing people together who are similar to us and who are different from us. Wherever we might be on that spectrum, our salvation begins here. Christ Jesus is our peace. And that good news comes right from our main passage this morning. In the first ten verses of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, Paul has written about the state from which his readers and all of us have come. Earlier in verse 1, Paul says that before coming to know Christ, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We were in a bad place. But then God moved on our behalf. He sent Christ Jesus And through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, He made us alive again. He promised us intimate, eternal, abundant life with God in the here and now and in the hereafter. Paul then finishes off this good news with a promise that this is all a gift of God's grace that is freely given to us. It comes to us through our faith in Christ and what Christ has done. And then he adds a few words that set up our passage for this morning. These are very familiar. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And as we looked at this a few weeks ago, our salvation, uh, our forgiveness is free, but it comes with an expectation, an obligation that we will engage in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. By the grace of God, in other words, not only are we forgiven and promised eternal life, as good and wonderful as that is, but we are also made partners with God in His work in the world. We participate in God's divine nature, and we participate in God's mission in the world. We come to know God and also to learn to follow Jesus and to pursue God's purposes in the world. In verse 11, then, Paul begins to talk about what some of those good works are, what this looks like. He begins with the word, therefore, which points us back to the good news he's already laid out for us. And then he moves on a bit and recaps what he's said so far, but this time he does so by speaking more pointedly to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. What's going on here in the church in Ephesus, and in many places in our New Testament, is a division between Gentiles and Jews. A division between Gentiles and Jews. If we were to pick that up, bring it forward, and drop it right down into the 21st century, we would call that racism. Racism. And Paul sets out to address it. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, so there's name-calling going on, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Once again, we were in a bad place. We were excluded from God's chosen people, Israel, and therefore we stood outside of the promises God had made to his people. But then something happened that changed everything. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, what is this dividing wall of hostility? Is it a, is it a metaphor, or is it a literal wall of some kind? And the answer is yes. It is likely both, a metaphor and a literal wall. As many of you know, in the, in the temple, there was a wall that separated the outer courts of the Gentiles where God-fearing Gentiles could come to worship, and the inner courts and on into the Holy of Holies where only Jews could go. And on this wall was a sign that threatened penalty of death should any Gentile go beyond that wall. So yeah, that's hostile. It is a literal dividing wall of hostility. But in verse 15, Paul says that this barrier was dismantled by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. The Jewish commandments of Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, restrictions of, of, of diet were meant to separate Jews from Gentiles. The law then, or at least part of it, could be seen as just such a dividing wall as a metaphor. In Christ, however, the law, as something that was dividing Israel from the rest of the world, the law is, in Paul's words, set aside. And then Paul continues by giving us God's motivation in these things. It was not only to offer us all a pathway to salvation, to relationship with God, our peace with God. Rather, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So those who were near are the Jewish people, the people of Israel. Those who were far away were the Gentiles. They were us, most of us. And Christ has preached peace to us all, It's interesting to me that earlier in verse 14 when Paul speaks forth our good news, for he himself is our peace. He's not speaking there first and foremost about our peace with God. He's speaking of Christ as peace between groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. Why? Because peace with God and peace with one another are part and parcel of the same reality in Christ. Peace with God and peace between one another And different groups of people are part and parcel of the same reality in Christ. First and foremost, of course, Paul is writing to people who are already within the church of Jesus Christ. He's he's instructing those who have come to faith in Christ to get along and to love all types of people who have come into the church, regardless of what may have divided them from one another outside of the church. Now we have been made into one new humanity, one people. Consequently, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. I want you to notice how, in this passage, Paul brackets his comments here with references to citizens and citizenship. So in verse 12, we Gentiles were excluded from citizenship as foreigners and foreigners to the covenants of the promise that God made to Israel. And then down in verse 19, we have become citizens. We Gentiles have moved from being understood as outsiders to having full rights as insiders, the rights of citizenship in the kingdom of God. We are now a part of God's household. Then Paul, as he sometimes does, adapts the imagery. In Him, Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. First, we were made citizens and brought into citizenship in the kingdom of God. Then we were invited to be a part of God's household, God's family, and then that metaphor changes again and we are being built into a building that rises up to become a house where God dwells, the temple where God dwells. And we, Jews and Gentiles, blacks, Asians, Latinx, Hispanic, native people, whites, men and women, young and old, Republicans, Democrats, and independents, are the stones that make up the temple where God himself dwells. We are built upon and interlocking with one another. Even when it's difficult and challenging challenging to have those conversations, even when it makes us uncomfortable to talk about these things, even when the division that is out in the world makes its way into the church, even if we're just not sure how we feel about all these things. I have a friend or two that I often contact and say, hey, uh, this is what I'm talking about tomorrow. I really appreciate some prayer as we talk about it. And I texted him last night and asked him uh, to be in prayer and he said he would and this morning very early he sent me a text he said he woke up praying for me and he said and i thought of this blog post it just was put out last week by a a presbyterian uh, minister it's on the theme of advent and uh, the topics that we're just tired of talking about as white people and she writes this about that it's advent season when we are waiting for relief and light and we are missing the point if we forget that actually we have been called to offer relief and light to other people in Jesus' name. We have been called to be with those who face daily racism because of the color of their skin. We are called to be with those who are blamed for their own poverty. We are called to be with those who are ignored in the stresses of, the everyday, of everyday living conditions. We can't walk away from the least of these. At least we can't walk away if we hope to emulate Jesus. And if we are tired of talking about racism or poverty or injustice, imagine how tired people must be who deal with racism or poverty or injustice every day. How to start? Stop talking about uncomfortable things and listen. Listen to people whose skin is not white. Listen to the poor. Have a conversation with someone who needs housing or health care. Note, we can't listen to the stories if we don't know any people of color or any poor people or any homeless people, or any untreated, sick people. Are we actually too tired to pay attention to our neighbors? Advent is a good time to wake up and pay attention. We are together, blacks, whites, Asians, Latinx, Hispanic, Native Americans, young, old, men, women, Republican, Democrat, Independent, we are all stones in the temple of God being built together the house in which God lives. Whether we like it or not, whether we're comfortable with it or not, whether we're not sure how we feel about it, that's who we are, and that's who God calls us to be. Several months ago, uh, Kurt, Jordan, and I were a part of a workshop with the Center for Congregations in, in which we learned, among other things, the nefarious nature of digital media. In particular, the presenter provided compelling evidence that social media platforms and algorithms are, in fact, designed to agitate us, to create anxiety and to make us fear. Even that little buzz that your phone makes when you get a notification is designed to do that. Why? Because when we give in to our anxiety and we give in to our fear, we tweet, or we get into arguments on Facebook, and our increased rage and our activity on these and other digital platforms makes more money for those platforms. That means, to a large extent, our moral outrage is making the people in Silicon Valley rich. That's why it's there. When we tweet or comment or argue or rage on social media, and I don't know if you know this or not, but we are not actually making the world a better place. You laugh, but you do it. You don't do it. Thank you, Shelly. Thanks. (laughs) I don't do it either because I'm off of Facebook. I tell people that uh, next to uh, following Jesus as my Lord and Savior and asking my wife to marry me, that's the smartest decision I've made. What we're doing and what it's designed to make us do is to feel a part of a group of people and to feel smarter than everybody else. That's what we're doing. It's a vicious cycle. And these data are rather compelling. The division and anger that we are currently suffering in society is a, quote, digitally induced mental health crisis. But we are followers of Jesus, and in and through us, the new creation has come and is coming into being in the world, and that matters. That matters because we, we know where God is taking all things. We know that God desires that all who do not know Him would come to know Him. We, we know that God's purposes include dismantling the dividing walls of hostility that separate human beings from one another. We know that the, the new heavens and the new earth, the restoration of all things, as it says in Acts chapter 3, are already present and at work in the world. What will be true in the age to come, brothers and sisters, is already true and transforming us now if we make the choices to live into that promised reality. Christ Jesus is already our peace. By God's grace and by the work of His Holy Spirit within us, let us then choose to live into that reality even now. Let us make the necessary Choices to do that today and every day. The the choices that deal ruthlessly with our sin, our own sin, our prejudice, our hatred, our racism. For in Christ, we are a forward-looking people. In Christ, we are a forward-living people. You've probably heard the, the old phrase batted around many times. You know, we should love the sinner but hate the sin. Can I tweak that a bit? It's not original with me. How about we love the sinner and hate our own sin? Our own pride, our own Lust, our own racism, our own hatred, our own prejudice. Several of us here have been a part of larger discussions of race and racism in the community, and one of the most recent discussions has been with several pastors who are part of the Pastors' Alliance, uh, an association of African-American pastors in the greater Lafayette area. Pastor Rodney Lynch, the director of the Baptist Student Foundation at Purdue, has, has challenged us as both white and black leaders to talk to our people about these things, and hopefully a new year to participate in some planned evenings of conversation with one another around these very important issues. And all of this, believe it or not, fits rather well into the theme of this second Sunday in Advent, peace. It also fits well with our first ECC touchstone that we looked at a few weeks ago, welcome. For we desire to be a place of hospitality and grace and community for all people. And that means we have work to do. And we need to listen and learn from our sisters and brothers of color. By the way, Jesus was a person of color. Jesus was a person of color. You want to look at the, and in the Covenant Church it has a history of the hippie white Jesus from the 60s that's on every wall. Not accurate. Jesus was a person of color. Earlier, as we lit the second candle in our Advent wreath, we were introduced to Elizabeth, cousin to Jesus' mother, Mary, wife of Zechariah the priest, mother to John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth lived in that day and age, peace was a very real dream and hope and something they longed for. She and her community longed for the coming of the Messiah. And you, you may remember from earlier in the story that, that Zechariah was told by an angel that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son in their old age, and he didn't believe it. And because of his unbelief, he was rendered speechless until the child was born. And then on the day when John the Baptist was born, and they wanted to name the boy after his father, Zechariah wrote on a tablet, his name is John. And at that moment, his speech returned. And he prophesied about the coming ministries of John the Baptist, and Jesus of Nazareth. And toward the end of that, he, he summarizes a bit of this prophecy uh, by saying this. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What is this way of peace? into which God's mercy will guide both Jews and Gentiles. It is certainly peace with God. But it is also the way of peace on earth, the peace that enables us to come together as one, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. It is this peace that will enable us not only to love one another as sisters and brothers in Christ, but to love even our enemies as Christ has taught us. It is this peace that we are called to take with us out into the world as peacemakers. One of the things that I am learning about race, and I want you to hear this. I want you to take this with you and ponder it. One of the things I am learning uh, about race and the conversation about race is is that it is no longer enough to settle for not racist. So if you're one of those people, I'm not, I'm not racist. That's not enough. I would say that may or may not be true, but that's not enough. I'm not racist. Now we have to be anti-racist. It's no longer enough to say I'm not racist. Now we need to be anti-racist. Racist, that means we must actively work against racism. And that work always begins with our own implicit biases and racist ideas and beliefs. Speaking for myself, there are more of those ideas and beliefs in me than I would have ever imagined. And it is not too much to say that it is way past time that we discover the path forward in ourselves, in our community, in the world, and in the Church of Jesus Christ. When Pastor Jordan and I took part in an anti-racism workshop at North Park Seminary a few weeks ago with pastors and leaders, a diverse group of pastors and leaders from around the central conference, at times the room was tense because it's, it's difficult to talk about these things. It was tense. And as I listened and as I reflected on the workshop, and the conversations, I began to sense in my own heart that this was the issue we need to deal with as the Church of Jesus Christ in 21st century America. This is the challenge before us, and we need to get this one right. I also talked with David Kirsten, a friend of mine, also the dean of the seminary, and he stated that in his mind, this conversation on race is ground zero it is, that is, this is the center of the intense action needed in our nation. This is square one for the church at large and for the Covenant Church in particular. And my prayer is that we here at ECC can become a pace setter and a catalyst in our community for this needed conversation, at least among the predominantly white churches. Trust me, the churches made up predominantly of people of color are having this conversation. They are pace setters. But my prayer is that we can become a pace setter and a catalyst as well. For starters, if these conversations on race have not really yet been a part of your own experience, I invite you, I challenge you, to wade into the rather deep waters of the conversation surrounding race and what our denomination sometimes refers to as racial righteousness. Christ is our peace. That is our good news. How are we to respond to the good news? Well, first, I don't want to miss the opportunity to say that if you are here today and you do not know peace with God, you've not ever come into a relationship with God, then that would be your first response. Do you want to know peace with God? Are you ready to take that step? Then I encourage you, come down and ask for prayer at the end, write something on the communication card, check the box in the back that says you want to know more about what it means to know and follow Jesus. I don't want to miss that. But beyond that, let us begin by educating ourselves about those places where... Uh, there are dividing walls of hostility between us. I have a short list, uh, list of books in your Bible app live event. If you've never used the Bible app, once again, go to wherever you get apps, download it. If you type in Bible, it's probably the first one at the top of the page. It's created, actually, by Covenant Church. Click on the More section and on the home screen in the app, then on Events, and if you have location services turned on, ECC's live event will pop to the top of the list. You can find there questions for discussion, more resources, and the text that we've been preaching from. And you can find a list of books there as well. I'm going to project them on the screen and leave it up there, so if you want to write them down or take a picture, you can. These are just a few of what I consider sort of entry-level. They're not, I'm not saying they're all easy to read. They're not. They're still going to challenge you. They're still going to disturb your peace, even as you pursue peace, by reading them. Um, I didn't do this in the first service. I'll just, let me give you a recap. The New Jim Crow is really big, and it's probably, the, in my opinion, the least easy, easy to read of these. I have not read, I'm still, still here, uh, but Jordan and uh, Kim have read it, and everybody was in that class last year, they can tell you about it. I think it pushes some buttons as well. Wide Awake is the conversation that got this started. I quoted from this a few years ago, written by a covenant pastor. I think it's excellent because it's part narrative and part teaching and he, he knows that he's dealing with people who have to move along with him and so I think that would be a good place for most of us to start. And Just Mercy, not read it. Uh, Kim has read it, no others have read it. That's actually going to be a movie that's released on Christmas Day as well but that was, that's kind of just a rundown of what you might think there. If you want to go deeper, if you've read all those books, somebody came to me <laughs> After the first service, I've read all those. I'll send you an email, and that's what I want you to do. Send me an email if you want to read beyond this into some more challenging uh, conversation and resources. I'd be happy to send that to you. It's an expanded list of, of books and resources. Now, I've not read all of these books, but I can tell you that uh, I, I've, uh, all of them have been recommended to me by people in our congregation and our denomination whom I trust. And, and my challenge is that we start somewhere on this list. I also want to acknowledge that these... These books are mostly about or written from within the conversations between whites and blacks, and there is certainly the need to go beyond the limitations of these two people groups alone. Um, And I think that is where we also need to go. However, we start here with this conversation because there's something unique and urgent about the historical roots of this particular conversation between whites and blacks. There's something unique and urgent. I'm also hoping that as we do that, we will gain better resources and understanding of having other conversations as well. So I believe there is a place for us, for ECC to have a voice in this challenging conversation. I believe that the grace of God working in us and the Spirit of God working in us and through us, through that, we can raise the temperature of racial righteousness a few more degrees. I believe we have to. I believe this is ground zero. This is something that God has been birthing here over the last few years in conversations and book studies. And I believe that having difficult conversations about dismantling whatever dividing walls of hostility still are still standing in our hearts, in our church, in our community will have a powerful impact in our church community and beyond these walls for these things are a part of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is part of what we mean when we talk about our community practice of witnessing. We are growing in what it means to share our faith in word and in deed. Yes, of course, that means we share our faith in Jesus Christ with others who do not yet know him, that they might be invited into the kingdom of God and the abundant and eternal life that God offers. It means peace with God, and it means we share our faith in deed. We do good works the good works God has prepared in advance for us to do. We live lives of justice and reconciliation and racial righteousness. We listen and learn from one another, especially those, of us who, those who are different from us. And we work with God to dismantle the walls. Yes, by all means, we must learn to welcome one another and those who are most like us in the community. That is true. But if we fail to learn to welcome those who are different from us, it's not going to matter how good we are at welcoming those who are like us. If we fail to learn to welcome those who are different than us, it will not matter how good we are at welcoming those who are like us, for we will have missed something very precious to the heart of God. However, if we do learn to welcome those who are different than us, I believe we can become a beachhead of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we will learn to welcome those who are different than we are, we can become a beachhead for the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community. We can raise the temperature a few degrees on these things, and we can bear witness to the coming multitude of people, the Apostle John says in Revelation 7, who will be gathered around the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We can be setters in our community. We can be a catalyst. But it starts with each of us individually, and it starts especially with those of us who are white being willing to take a hard look at ourselves, a hard look at the world in which we live, the dominant culture of which we are a part, and our relationships or lack of relationships with people of color. May God give us grace to do the work ahead of us. Would you pray with me as we close? I'm going to ask that we just take a moment of silence before I close.